Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. All right, those who are going to a little worship can be dismissed at this time. Um, if you're staying here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And uh, as we're transitioning, just to let y'all know, so this is uh, our 33rd uh, sermon in the, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to pause uh, after today. Uh, next week, uh, Roe Taylor, he's the pastor at RUF Delta State. He's going to be here preaching and then hopefully having just a little bit of time to share during our fellowship meal about the, the ministry of RUF at Delta State. And then uh, when we get back the week after that, uh, we're going to start a new series, kind of like a sermon, uh, a summer uh, sermon series, uh, more topical. But the, the goal is, um, well, at least right now, the, the title of it is going to be Housekeeping, uh, Taking Out the Theological Trash uh, this summer. And the, the goal is to spend uh, the weeks of the summer looking at different uh, texts that you've probably seen tattooed on people, uh, written in the back of your, you know, your annual, uh, all these great promises that God gives us that's so often ripped out of its context and applied to all people, uh, misapplied. And so the goal isn't for us as at Westminster to be able to run around and see people uh, with misusing verses and to look down on them and to tell them what's up. But it's more, we're going to go through this so that we can learn, okay, what are, what are the promises of God for real? And what can we truly cling to? Um, and so we'll probably start with the, uh, with the banger of uh, Jeremiah 29. It's the one that you've seen so many times. I know my plan. I've got good plans for you, declares the Lord. Well, what's, who's he actually making that promise to? And what, what all does that entail? Um, because it's probably not what we think. So um, anyway, that's, that'll be in two weeks. Uh, but for now, we're in Luke um, chapter 9. And you know, last week, uh, Jesus said something kind of odd that we didn't really get to. Uh, right after he said, it's the, the classic saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus said, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, what's up with that, right? Because I don't know about y'all, but today, like, we're still here today waiting for this full kingdom of God to come, uh, which means all the disciples died before they saw the full kingdom of God. So, I mean, what was Jesus talking about? Is this one of those contradictions that atheists like to talk about? Um, well, scholars have debated and debated what, quote, seeing God's kingdom means. And, but if you just read the verse in its context, it, it becomes more clear what Jesus was talking about there because in our passage this morning, Luke gives us two clues that something out of this world is about to happen. Uh, first, Luke mentions that Jesus and his three disciples here went up on a mountain. And if you know, as you read the Bible, uh, the mountain is often the place of revelation, right? It's, remember, uh, it was Mount Moriah where Abraham and his son Isaac learned uh, of the sacrificial love of God. It was Mount Sinai where God met with Moses from a burning bush, but then also is where he gave Israel the law. Or, or what about just the book of Revelation? Remember, it's, uh, it's a vision 
that God gave to John and to us to sustain us uh, in the middle of this world gone mad. But that was a vision that was given from God to John while he was in a mountain cave on the island of Patmos. So it's not a coincidence that when it, it came time for God to show us a, a more fuller picture of, what, of who Jesus was, it was on a mountain. And then the, the second clue that something really out of this world is about to happen is this uh, mention this weird cloud thing that, that showed up. And we're going to talk about the cloud in just a minute, but in Scripture, when this cloud showed up, things went down. You know, like when the cloud showed up, that meant God was in town. And so in, in the context, we find that Peter, James, and John did have the unique privilege to see something before they died that most believers get to see only after death. Um, so what is the kingdom that they saw? What is, what is it? Well, it is Jesus in all of his glory. That is the full kingdom of God. It's Jesus unbridled, large, and in charge. So with that, let's hear God's word, and then we'll explore what it means for us uh, today. So Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36, this is God's word. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James, or Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in, or at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we were here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. They told no one in these days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word. Uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus and Peter and James and John went up on a mountain. And for just a brief amount of time, they got to see Jesus as he truly is glorious, which before we get too far, you know, in order for this passage to really pop like it would have the original hearers of this word, uh, we need just a real quick crash course in glory. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, we read about this, uh, and you've probably heard people preaching about it or, or talking about it, like the Shekinah glory of God. Shekinah glory, it was this, this visible presence of the holy God on this earth in a cloud. And if you remember, this Shekinah glory cloud first showed up uh, when Israel left Egypt. Remember, it was the pillar by day and the, the fire by night. Um, as they were leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, and, and then the glory, of the glory cloud descended on Mount Sinai where God gave his people the law. Uh, then we saw it again when Moses, at, remember, Moses asked to see God's glory. And, and God's like, no, you can't handle it. If you saw it all, you would die. And so God put Moses up in the cleft of a rock and he passed by 
and he permitted Moses to see him after he had, had gone, and even that was enough to make Moses' face shine, right? Next, we read about God's, about how God's people built a tabernacle, and the Shekinah glory cloud came down, and the, the very presence of God settled in the heart of the tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. Well, then fast forward uh, to the time of Solomon. And Solomon finally, he, he finished building the temple. Um, and in 2 Chronicles we, Chronicles, we learned that as the temple was being dedicated and Solomon finished his prayer, that fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The Shekinah glory filled the temple. And when all the people saw that, they, they didn't sit upright in their pews and do their best to pay attention. No, the Bible says that when that happened, when the glory showed up, they bowed their faces to the ground and they worshiped and giving thanks, saying, the Lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay. Um, and I, look, I apologize if this is a bit too like history for y'all. Um, but the, the temple was created to be the house where God's glory resided, right? But over time, something happened as you read the Old Testament. Uh, the temple over time became less and less about God's glory and really more and more a monument to human glory and what he, the humans have achieved. And in fact, over the course of 400 years, there was this downhill slide to the point to where one day 70 elders of Israel stood in the temple, each in front of his own painted idol, and they were offering incense to it. Ezekiel to this said that the walls of the temple over time had been painted with every form of creeping thing and loathsome beast and idol. And then Ezekiel recorded this really interesting thing that he got to see, this vision. He recorded the glory of God moving out of the temple and moving up and then just departing. The glory was gone and they called it Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Glory is not here anymore. All right. This is super crucial. Uh, for the next 600 years, like 600 years, though the temple would be destroyed and rebuilt and uh, all these things would happen, for the next 600 years, there was not one mention of the glory cloud returning, the Shekinah glory. Uh, 600 years of Ichabod. But then... Out of the clear blue sky, and this is why we love, it's this passage that you've heard hundreds of times, especially you read it around Christmas time. It's been 600 years of Ichabod, and then out of the clear blue sky, Luke tells us something jaw-dropping. When Jesus was born, Luke writes, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Y'all know this passage, right? Um, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and, and, and here it is, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Which is showing us that the glory, the Shekinah glory, had finally returned in the person of Jesus. Okay, so here's what that, that means. Um, you know how sometimes Christians, we try to sound Christian in our prayers, right? And so we'll pray things like, God, just like show us your glory and bring your glory and all these things about glory. Um, but that, like, that's actually an old temple prayer. That's how people prayed in the Old Testament. God, come, come, bring your glory. Because 2,000 years ago, God did bring his glory back. 
We read about it in Luke 2. Like he revealed his glory to us in Jesus. And so maybe the prayer for us shouldn't be, Lord, reveal your glory to us. As much as maybe it needs to be, Lord, help us to see Jesus, the truly glorious one. <laughs> May we see Jesus. Because as we do, as we see Jesus and the glory is revealed, we see several things. First, first thing we see, uh, we see that Jesus is God. In what can only be described as just a major understatement, Luke says that the appearance of Jesus' face was altered. You know, Mark, Mark said that Jesus was transfigured or literally metamorphosized. Uh, Matthew said that Jesus' face shone like the sun. And, and now, look, you may think, look, that kind of sounds something similar to what happened to Moses. Remember, his face shone. Um, that doesn't mean that Jesus is God if that happened to Moses. But, but here's the thing. Uh, it, we've talked about this. Moses was reflecting the glory of God. Um, as we have mentioned, Moses and, and we, us, uh, we're all like the moon in that we have no light on our own. All we can do is reflect light that hits us. So Moses was reflecting the light, uh, but not Jesus. Jesus doesn't reflect. Jesus radiates the glory. You know, Hebrews opens by saying that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God. And, you know, uh, for those who hold that Jesus was just a great teacher um, and they would kind of put him on par with, with Moses and Elijah as being really great religious leaders. Um, and, and look, if you had to pick an all-time Bible power trio, it, it would be Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. But please know, and, and this is one of the reasons they said that Peter didn't know what he was talking about, uh, that his idea for building a tent was ridiculous, because doing so... It put Moses and Elijah and Jesus all on the same level. And yet, or it would be kind of akin to, uh, if you're an Avengers fan, Marvel fan, is like, Avengers assemble, right? We're all superheroes and we all do super things. Um, but as Phil Riken said, Jesus doesn't have any peers. That Jesus isn't on this mountain consulting with his colleagues to see if he's doing the right thing. A couple of years ago, there was this great tweet <clears throat> by Molly Seidel. Uh, if you don't know who Molly Seidel is, uh, she's, I mean, she's one of like the top professional female runners in the world. I mean, she, she represented the U.S. in the Olympics. Uh, she's won about every championship, every award you can for a female runner. Like when she's in her prime, I mean, she's top dog runner in the world. Okay. Uh, well, she tweeted about a conversation that she had on a plane and uh, she said that uh, she was sitting next to this guy on the flight, and she, she tweeted, On my flight, I was talking to a guy next to me, and it came up that I run. He then started telling me how I needed to train high mileage, and then he pulled up an analysis he had made of a pro runner's training regimen on his phone to show me what I needed to do to be a better runner. And, and then she said, The pro runner was me. Like, that was my training log that he was looking at. I just didn't have the heart to tell him. You know, um, it's almost like that's the situation we see here. We see everything that Moses and Elijah were about, everything that they strove for was really, it was really about Jesus. It was pointing to Jesus, all about Jesus. And what's more is after this glorious event where God spoke from the cloud, uh, 
we see here, or he said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him, lest we be confused. After God said that, right, there was no Moses, <laughs> there was no Elijah. Jesus was standing alone. And so when the glory is revealed, we see, we are reminded that, that Jesus is God. But second, we also see that Jesus is his Savior. Um, you know, uh, some argue that, that Peter wanted to set these tents up so that they would never have to leave. They could kind of just set up shop there. Because, I mean, this is better than like the Beatles getting back together. Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Um, it would be akin to uh, building an ark and, and, and charging people to come see the ark. Um, you know, this could become a religious shrine where lots of religious people could come and they could make some money off of this. Um, okay, but it's not a stretch to see, a, maybe there's a more profound reason why Peter was talking about building a tent. Uh, it's, be, it's because we were made to be with God. We were, we were made to dwell in His glorious presence. But because of sin, because of the fall, that's not what we have naturally. And, and so imagine, so, so here's Peter's context. Here's what he knows. Um, in the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to live in the midst of my people. But in order for me to live in the midst of you um, and you not die, there has to be a tent made. There has to be separation between my holiness and your sin. And, and remember, when they were moving the Ark of the Covenant, and Uzzah reached up to, it was falling, the, the ark was falling, and Uzzah reached up to, for it not to fall. He touched it. Uh, Uzzah was struck dead because God's holiness doesn't play with our sin. There has to be separation. And so, I mean, that's the context Peter is operating in. He doesn't know much, but he knows that. And so Peter says, well, we've got to build a tent. Because Jesus and Elijah and like all this, this is we're not supposed to see this. Like we, we can't survive this, Jesus. And we, we've got to set up a boundary, separate your holiness, your glory, and our sin. And, and then as Peter was still talking, things got worse because the glory cloud, the very thing he was trying to avoid, fell on them. And, and they heard the Father and they were terrified, and no doubt thinking, like, this is how I'm going to die, right here. And like all, remember, all Uzzah did was touch the ark. I mean, he's all up in it, in the glory. We are going to die on this mountain. But then the craziest thing happened. And for believers, like this is common knowledge, but, but for the Hebrew people who are reading this, this would have blown their minds. Like they were in the presence of God's unbridled glory. No tent, no temple, no separate. They hadn't even offered a sacrifice. They were all up in it, and yet they didn't die. They saw the glory of God and didn't die. And then when they opened their eyes, all they could see was Jesus, which, which Matthew tells us Jesus said to them, rise and have no fear. Like, do you know what that means? Because this really does matter for every single person in this room. Uh, because every single person in this room is going to die one day. And when you die, we're told that you're gonna, there's coming a day where you're going to stand before God. And if you are without Jesus when that happens, you, you will be the object of his wrath. Like you will be. But, but that didn't happen to these disciples because they were in Jesus. Like he was their tabernacle 
He was their covering. He was their sacrifice. He was their Savior. And so when, when Jesus died, we, we know this, the Gospels tell us this, that when Jesus died, the curtain separating us from the Holy of Holies was torn, meaning that in Jesus, we can be in the presence of God and not die. <laughs> R.C. Sproul was once asked, how do, you, how do you sum up the Christian life? Just sum it up. And R.C. responded with those two Latin words that you've probably seen at the bottom of any Ligonier correspondence. It's a corum Deo, which means, it means before the face of God. But what he's saying is the sum of the Christian life, if you are in Jesus, the sum of the Christian life is you live every minute of every day in the presence of God. <laughs> and, and you know, when, when our time on this earth is done, we will close our eyes in death and, and open them to life, um, not to condemnation. <laughs> Think of all the times in this life you have been contemned and shamed and fear. You need to fear. Um, you will open your eyes not to condemnation, not to wrath. And we will open our eyes and the first person we will see will be our hero, Jesus. <laughs> we will rise and have no fear. Um, so when the glory is revealed, we see that Jesus is Savior. That means we don't have to be afraid. Third, and, and this is a super, super brief point, but when the glory is revealed, we also see that heaven is for real. <laughs> I mean, so Moses at this point had been dead for about 1,400 years, um, and Elijah had been dead for, for centuries. And yet, here we see that they are all along, they're very much alive. Um, not only were they already in God's glory, and they're appearing in glory here, but we also see that they seem to have had a relationship with God and with each other in glory, uh, which is just fun to think about, right? Like imagine all the conversations that will be had in glory um, as we relate to each other and to God. So, that, I mean, life everlasting is real. That's a very small point. Um, fourth, when the glory is revealed, we see something here that we, we don't get to see usually in our lives. Um, because, you know, we say these things, it's almost like we, we put a Band-Aid on our hurts. Well, God's working good, and even though my life is horrible, I know that God's going to make good of it. And, and sometimes we die not seeing how that, that good comes. But, but this is so, this may be the most encouraging thing about this passage. <laughs> because we don't always get to see how God is making good of our heart. But in this passage, God ties up two loose ends from the Old Testament and I know we've mentioned this before, but you know Moses had spent 80 years, like 80 years of his life being prepared to do one thing, and that was to lead God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land. That's all Moses wanted to do, but we, we know what happened with Moses, right? It's, it's one of the greatest tragedies in all the Bible. Um, Moses got all the way to the banks of the Jordan River. And, and uh, like the Yazoo River dwarfs the Jordan River, okay? Uh, most of us could throw a foot, most of us could throw a shot put across the Jordan River, okay? Like, I mean, you get a running jump and like jump twice, you're across, you know? Um, and there they are. The promised land was there like literally 30 yards away. I'm like, like from me to William Patrick, maybe, I, that's not 30 yards, but that's how wide it is. It's, I mean, it's right there. They could see it, and yet God 
said no. Like Moses couldn't leave the people in. And so I just like, can you go there? Or maybe some of y'all have experienced something like that where you, you ha you've had one desire, <laughs> one, one dream, and, and God gets you right up to it. I mean, you're about to get it. And then God says, you can't have it. You know, Moses died not getting what he longed for most. And then Elijah, we know Elijah's story. I mean, Elijah had one passion. I mean, he, he was driven by one thing, one hope, that the people of God would turn from Baal worship and turn from worshiping all their little cultural gods that they worship and to turn back and worship the living and true God, Yahweh. That's, I mean, that's a pretty good desire. That's all he wanted. And God gave Elijah huge victories. But just as things were starting to click, like he's, Elijah's starting to turn a curve, man, his ministry's on right now. God told Elijah... Elijah, you're done. You're, you're being put on the shelf. And so he says, go, and I want you to go, and I want you to find your replacement. I want you to go and anoint Elisha to go be the prophet in your place. And so in the, in the Old Testament, we're, we're met by these two broken men. Two men that, that, I mean, they weren't perfect, but they were pretty zealous for the Lord. And yet both of them left this life left this earth not seeing their dreams become a reality. And we can say, look, if that was, Mo this is Moses and Elijah for crying out loud. If they can't get their best life now, how can we get our best life now? Well, what we see here is that that wasn't the end of their story. Just like our death isn't the end of ours. The fact that, that they show up here shows us that, that God's plan was way bigger than what was going on during their life. Um, that, that what Moses and Elijah began doing in delivering people from slavery and in trying to return people to God um, would ultimately be accomplished in and through someone else. And, and I, I, love, I love verse 31. Luke says that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and they spoke of Jesus' departure. And if you have your Bible, you'll see it has a little footnote on it. If you look down, you'll see that that word departure is the Greek, a Greek word for exodus. And so Moses and Elijah were here getting to talk about what Jesus, well, the very thing they dreamed of, the ultimate exodus, the ultimate returning people to God. And so Jesus would be the one who would lead their people out of slavery. Jesus would be the one to overthrow and bring back their people, God's people to himself once and for all on the cross. And so that's what they're talking. What is this ultimate exodus thing? That's what they were talking about. Um, so, you know, uh, so several years ago, um, video gamer, y'all know, like people, they, sh they play video games and then they stream themselves playing video games and then people watch them play video games, right? Uh, video game streamers. Uh, video game streamers started saying this, this two-word two phrase, let's go, after they you know, won something or they'd scored a touchdown on, on the video game. They'd say, let's go. Well, well he, Tom Brady has stolen that from the video game culture, and he's made a lot of money saying, let's go, right? Um, what were Moses and Elijah talking about with Jesus? It was the ancient plan all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. <laughs> In other words, they were saying, let's go, let's go. 
Uh, or as, as uh, Harry Connick Jr., it was at Independence Day, Harry Connick Jr. said, let's uh, kick some tires, light some fires. Right? Um, I think that was Harry Connick, right? Will Smith, somebody. Will Smith didn't say it. He said something else, didn't he, recently? Um, uh, in Jesus, um, this is what we see. Look, we see that God is working all things, all things, all things for the good of his people, Okay. Which then brings us to our, our fourth and, and final point. All right, it's, all right, so it's easy to, to read this and, and to think, great. I, I'm so happy that Peter and James and John got to go up on this mountain with Jesus. And I'm so glad that they saw the glory and they heard the audible voice of God speaking. But, but we weren't there. Um, so, I mean, what does this mean for us? Well, it, it means at least two things. Uh, first, it's just a simple reminder it's a reminder, you know, how many times have you, you know, you've got this, maybe it's this decision you've got to make about all right, a, a job situation or what we're going to do with our kids or it, you, you get to these cross, you know, to these crossroads in life and you just wish God would speak to you and tell you what to do, right? If you could just hear the audible voice of God or you say, if, if I could just see what they saw, then my, my fledgling little faith, like, like I could make it, you know, I'd be okay. Okay. Well, in, in 2 Peter, Peter reminds us that we have something more sure, that we have something more certain. We have the prophetic word of, of God. And look, I know some people are going to be like, mur, mur, mur. like I'd rather just see the glory, okay, uh, than have to read the Bible. But maybe we have a low view of Scripture, too low view of Scripture. Because Peter, who was there, and this is what Gene read this morning, Peter, who was there on the mountain, he said, in Scripture, we have something better than what they saw. That when we come to God's Word, like, yeah, how is that possible? They just had this one individual singular event, um, you know, where the, God's glory, they just got a glimpse for, for one time. But when we come to God's Word, we see that the gospel contains everything we need to know, at least in this life, everything we need to know about Jesus. Everything we need to know. So we have, we, we have God's word. We have the glory. Um, then, then finally, second under this, we can't forget our beautiful future e either. Uh, this is a picture of our future. That if we are in Jesus, what Peter, James, and John experienced, we too will experience one day. You know, Paul, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing about the return of Jesus. And Paul's like, look, I know you're worried about a lot of things, but this is all you need to worry about. This is what you need to know. Jesus is going to return in a cloud. And those who are in Jesus will be called up together with him in that great glory cloud. That's all you got to know. And look, he says that, look, you won't have to build a tent in that cloud. You won't even have to say goodbye in that cloud because you will never be separated from Jesus. So Westminster and friends, um, that is the true and good news. Uh, and that is what we see when the glory uh, is revealed. Well, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Jesus that 2,000 years ago you did something on a mountain that helped us to know that Jesus is God, that he is Savior, um, that you make all things uh, turn out for the good for your people. Um, and Lord, in Jesus, we have the glory. So may we see his 
see him as more and more beautiful. May you draw us in, uh, even in the middle of the hearts, and, and show us who we have in Jesus. Uh, Lord, make us in him. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.